It's the Wex Appeal Podcast. Barbells, beats, and buffoonery. Three, two, one, go! Here we go. Dope conversations. That's my gang is con. Where fitness, pop culture, and a lot of random buffoonery collide. I'm coming for you. It's ridiculous, really. Hashtag space. Work. But amusing. Wax, you, you laughed least at me, so you get to go next. <laughs> Here's your host, Wax. I was going to say I blacked out during the explanation. <laughs> I just heard space. Work. Oh, man. Oh, man. Oh, man. Here we are with another episode of the Wexpeel podcast, Barbells, Beats, and Buffoonery. And we are just a little over two weeks away from the CrossFit Games. And I am so excited. I'll be driving up. If you're going to be in Madison, please hit me up. Let me know. Go to the Instagram page. Shoot me a message. I want to hook up with you. Say hello and uh, just you know hang out. Have some. Have a good time. I'm going to be up there volunteering the first three days. I think uh, two Monday, maybe Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, or yeah, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. I'll be volunteering, and then after that, I'll be on the media stage doing all the media things, getting all the interviews and talking to all the people and having a great time up there in Madison, Wisconsin. So if you're going to be there, hit me up and uh, let me know. We'll hang out at like an OG party or, you know, Talking Elite Fitness or, you know, we'll do something. Go get a burger at the Old Fashioned. Just whatever. We're going to have a good time. So I'm going to be driving up to Madison and it is going to be a blast. So stay tuned. Got a lot of great content coming up for you. We've got the a ton of people from HWPO training that are going to be on the show. Uh, I just talked to Fisa Gaffey. She's going to be on the show. And uh, just a lot of things lined up for you to listen to all the way up to the CrossFit Games this year. And uh, I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be a great time um, just overall talking to people and and enjoying the CrossFit Games experience and Madison, Wisconsin for the next two years as it as it stands. Some things we got going on. Before we do any of that, we're going to get right to our sponsors. I am very excited about our sponsors that we have for this show. I don't align myself with anybody but people that I actually like and enjoy myself. Number one, um, man, Blackout Barbell. They have been fantastic to work with. Their gear is amazing. Go to blackoutbarbell.shop. Check out all the different apparel items that they have on for you to get. They've got the Blackout Barbell logo tees. They've got the shorts. The shorts are the best. I love them. They have a 5-inch a, a inseam, which I prefer because I just like to get those leg gains in. And uh, you got to let the legs breathe, man. got to let them breathe when you're doing those squats. Love their shorts. Love their shirts. I got to compete in them uh, at Rex Rumble this past weekend. Um, I, I say compete. I went and worked out. The uh, other three, three or four people in my division actually competed. I just uh, got got a good workout in. That's about all we're gonna say about that. It was it was a little bit ugly on my end, anyways. But hey, I at least look good because I was wearing my blackout barbell apparel. So go check it out, blackoutbarbell.shop, and use my code blackout. That is B L K O U T all caps to get ten percent off of your order. My other sponsor, and also sponsored the guest of my show today is strong coffee company go to strong coffee company and use my code wex appeal all caps one word wex appeal to get 15 dollars off of your order strong coffee is the best way to work up wake up in the morning for your workout that's what i'm trying to say best way to wake up 
they have your collagen protein, they have your MCT oil, they have your neurofactor. It's good for your gut health, your brain health, your body, your hair, your skin, your nails. You name it, this is the one-stop shop to help you wake up in the morning and look and feel your best. So get on the Strong Coffee bandwagon. Get over there. Get yourself a cup of Strong Coffee. It's instant coffee, which makes it that much easier. Make sure you get the frother. Uh, get one of their, their bundle packages. Get the frother to mix it up in the morning. All you need is hot water. You can either get hot water from, from your own Keurig, which I do every morning, or you can go to Starbucks and order a hot water. It's free, and it, it's just so much more fun. If you do that, make sure you take a video, tag us, and tag Strong Coffee that you're getting your hot water, free hot water for Starbucks, and uh, we'll love you for it. It's 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 awesome. If you want to know more about it, go back to my show with Adam von Rothfelder um, on the on the podcast, and we talked all about it. It was hilarious. But strongcoffeecompany.com, Head over there. Use my code WEXAPPEAL for fifteen dollars off of your order. Or as always, hit the links in bios, and uh, you can see all the stuff that we got going on. My guest today was nice enough to welcome me into his home. One of the very few in person interviews that we've done here on the Wexpeel podcast. If you're not a Wadapalooza, I've only really done one other in-person interview that uh, that made it to the podcast, and uh, that was with Rashad Jones, which uh, go back and listen to that. He's going to be back on the show here soon talking about all the stuff he has going on with barbecue. But my guest today is, he's almost like a cartoon character, uh, old school American gladiator style. He is Dave freaking Lipson, and uh, if you know who I'm talking about, he is the creator and founder of Thunderbro. Uh, bodybuilding for CrossFitters is what I'm going to call it. Uh, that's what I'm going to call it. Um, it. It takes the stigma off of bodybuilding, mixes in some functional fitness, and turns you into a real-life cartoon character action figure. Thunderbro is an awesome program that I'm looking forward to uh, checking out and, and getting a little bit deeper into. But I sat down at his home. Uh, it was actually July 6th. It was a few days after that uh, that we're going to release this. But on his birthday, we got edible arrangements delivered during the during the episode and everything. But uh, Dave and Camille LeBlanc-Bazinet, his wife, uh, were very kind to welcome me into their home on his birthday. And we hung out. Uh, we hope at some point to get Camille on the show as well, but she was taking care of, taking care of their, their little one, Zoe. And, but Dave and I got to sit down, we got to cut up, we got to talk about baseball, we got to talk about bodybuilding, CrossFit, we talked about everything. Literally this man, we could, we could sit and talk for days. Um, in fact, the episode got cut off because he had to go to a baseball game for, uh, for his birthday, part of his birthday present from, uh, Camille. And, uh, so they were going to a baseball game or we would have just kept going, but we had a great, great time. I hope that you enjoyed this episode. Ladies and gentlemen, my guest today, the legendary Dave freaking Lipson. All right, so ladies and gentlemen, it is the Wexfield Podcast, Barbells, Beats, and Buffoonery, and I am in the home of Mr. Dave Lipson and Camille LeBlanc-Bazinet. Welcome, sir. Well, oh, I, no, I, I you're welcome. welcome. Yeah. welcome. I, I love having people over. I love showing them like the Meathead Mansion, and you know, this is our little slice of paradise down here, and uh, it's great to, great to have you in the house with us, man. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me. It's beautiful. A beautiful area, a beautiful oh, thank place, you. and uh, just... 
I pulled up and I'm like, all right, this is this is fun. This is gonna be this is gonna be a good time. So uh, we're gonna have fun. Funny story. I mean, the this the place we live now. It's this gorgeous, wonderful, beautiful property. I think every day about when Camille and I got married, our first home was in my sister's basement. Nice. And you know what I mean? And I, I like I I'm like wow. Like look. Look at how far we've come. <laughs> I, same thing with my wife. I, like, w- we look at the places that we stayed. Like, the first place we stayed together was actually my my mother's house, <laughs> and then we got some like crappy apartment. Literally, it was this like it, it wasn't really a duplex and it wasn't really a trailer. It had four apartments. It had a two bedroom, a studio, a two bedroom, and a studio in like this squared off thing. And you could bang on the wall. And my best friend lived in the apartment behind us. Okay. So we, if we wanted to come over, we just bang on the wall. Well, it's funny. And then walk over. <laughs> like I remember being really, really happy in every place that we live. Yeah. Like, you know, it's just different, but, but, um, I think that like, uh, it, it is nice to feel like you're building something. Right. Yeah. And so to, to me, you know, going from an 800 square foot, garage turn bedroom <laughs> into now like a, a nice big house that we can grow a family in and have our home gym in like well you know when we you saw our gym out back right it's yeah. like oh, yeah. really yeah. cool kind of tennis court when cam and i started this gym it was almost 10 years ago we had a kettlebell and a squat stand and that was it you know like i think somebody's knocking at the door i think it's probably a birthday surprise because i know people are sending me like edible arrangements oh, nice. and stuff today <laughs> It's By okay. the way, yeah, happy birthday. Thank you. Well, I, sh- I should get Camille because it's hot as balls down here and it's 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 going to melt. Hold, I'm just going to we'll, bring it. I'm we'll just going to bring it in. Hold on. We'll take a pause. Take go, a pause. Go, go, go take Check. it. And we're back. A little technical difficulty. We had an edible arrangement come in. There were multiple, there multiple. were multiple reasons for that little hiatus. Yes. So, so one, I was right. It was an edible arrangement <laughs> with the strawberries <laughs> dipped in the chocolate. Yes. And so they will last about 20 seconds outside here in Florida. Absolutely. It's yeah. what, it, what, what's the temperature out there? 92 is what it says. So mine just says hot as balls. Feel, yeah, exactly. So happy birthday, by the way. Thank you. We're here and it's your birthday. You brought me in to come do this podcast. I was like, oh, well, it's, it's your birthday. Um, Thanks a lot. I I always have a weird since I turned forty. I always have like a weird relationship with my birthday. Yes. Where uh, leading up to it, I kind of get like a little bit depressed because I'm like, Ugh, I don't want a birthday. I'm just getting older and this and that. And then when the day comes, I actually my mood and, and disposition does like a 180, and all I feel is a lot of gratitude, <laughs> like very happy for where I'm at in my life, you know, with my family and my career and, you know, in my marriage and, you know, like, what would you want as a 40 year old, one year old? Like, what, what, what more could you be asking for right yeah. now, dude? Like, you know, and, and I, I feel like it's uh, an opportunity uh, just to be grateful. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I feel like at one point in time, I remember like in middle school, I would go to these counselors and stuff like that. And they're like 30, 40 years old. I'm like, oh my gosh, you guys are so old. Oh, yeah. And a little part of that creeps in when, when I look at my age, I'm like, gosh, I'm 43. And then I'm like, but I don't feel like I'm 43. Your perspective like- definitely changes as you get older. And the first time I noticed this was when I played baseball, when I was coming up and I was in my early 20s, I thought of the guys in the major leagues as like men, like old men, like these guys are in their 30, like yeah. they're full grown men. 
And, um, and then after I left the game for a while, I came back as a 30 something year old and I looked at the field. We were at the, um, the CrossFit box in Petco field in San Diego, watching the Padres. Yeah. And, uh, I'm looking at the field and I'm like, these guys look like kids. <laughs> like the players look like kids. Now, part of that was like when I was not just, um, you know, uh, looking at like how youthful they, they, they look, but I remember being so intimidated by big leaguers growing up. Like these guys are like so big and strong. And you know, when you are training for a decade or two and you are outgrowing a lot of these guys. I'm like, they don't seem as physically intimidating as when I was like 170 pounds. <laughs> well, and it's funny because you, I feel like you get to a certain age. Like for me, I grew up, you know, I, I love playing sports, but I never really played a lot of organized sports, but I would play like video games and things like that. And so my, my go-to was Madden. Like I would play Madden for days on end. And that thing is like an epidemic. Yeah, it, it, but, <laughs> but what I would do is, I, you know, it was okay at that age to create myself as a player yep. and, like, put myself in. I'm like, okay. Wait, what and, What years were this? Because I want to know, like, who are the players that during Madden when you were oh, talking man. about this? So this it's is like Emmett Smith? Yeah, no, definitely. <laughs> okay. I mean, we're the same age. Yep. So, yeah, so, like, Emmett Smith, Jerry Rice. John uh, Elway. John Elway. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All those guys. And I'm like, okay, cool, you know, I can put myself in and I don't feel weird. And now as a grown adult, I'll get like the new Madden and I'll be like, I'm too old to create myself to even be a retired player in the NFL. Um, <laughs> unless I'm Tom Brady, which I'm not, uh, you know, at what, 45? And, well, and he was out there playing? Well, I feel like when you grow up, like you, you really like look up to these guys. They, they seem not just in their personality and what they do, but just physically, they're just like larger than life. Yeah. Right. They're like gods, like superheroes. And then, you know, as you grow up and you realize like, no, these people, they're just people, they're regular people who happen to do an exceptional thing. Um, you know, it, it puts it into perspective, you know, as you, you're seeing them, not just like as a young kid, just looking up at your hero, but seeing them for what they did and, and also understanding the human element in what everyone has to go through. A lot of these struggles, like one of my good buddies, uh, Dan Nitro Clark played yes. Nitro on yes. uh, American, American Gladiators, Gladiators, ladies and gentlemen. Like, yes. I grew up just idolizing Dan. I'm like, this is the guy, you know, like he's my superhero. And and even now to this day, I mean, I really look up to him. But, but you know, during the course of our friendship, what I realized is like all these guys, they're just as vulnerable as any of us. They go through the same things that we all do. And, uh, and, and that just makes it even more inspirational sometimes to be honest yeah. with you. But, um, but yeah, yeah, it's cool. It's, it's crazy. Cause I was actually just having this conversation with the Julian Marquez from the, from the buttery bros Yep, is that the reason I'm an Oakland Raider fan, uh, for football is because at eight years old, I met one of the defensive linemen Yep, and he was larger than life. He was this just monster of a man. And then I, watched him on tv and i was like oh i've met him he's on tv that's cool this is my new favorite team and you know i started following it from that but like you said he was just a normal guy he yep. just happened to be 
dating the daughter of the owner that my dad was working for. Like, okay. It just there's a random weird weird events, but all that turns into I'm now 43 and I'm still sadly a Las Vegas Raiders fan because they're horrible. <laughs> um, but you know it happens. You know it's sports. You know, no, you you gotta you gotta have that. I think it's important for boys to have heroes. Yeah. You know, because I think deep down. That's what every man wants. They want to. They want to feel like a hero in some way. Maybe they're a hero to their family, you know. But they they want to feel like they can lead and provide and protect and you know, be be the man. And, and I think when you're a child, the low hanging fruit is like athletes. It's like these guys look like supermen. They look like, you know, they're they're larger than life. And um, and I think it's important for kids to have those role models, you know, to to have people they look up to yeah and and it's been cool so kind of the shifting from you know professional you know we say professional sports but i'm going to kind of lump crossfit because it's such a new sport i mean it's only been around for 15 years of just like being able to see kids kind of grow up and see those people and like i equated it like my daughter you met her at wadapalooza and you know we're running around wadapalooza and she's getting to meet all these people who in her eyes are the same people that we saw like when we saw the NFL players, like we would see these NFL or American Gladiators and all these people and be like, oh my gosh, these are like the people. Well, she's running around kind of getting that same experience at Wadapalooza because she follows CrossFit. So she follows, she's like, oh my gosh, there's Matt Fraser, there's Daniel Brandon, there's, you know, all these people that she looks up to and to, to get to meet them and then also find out at the same time, these are real people that are super cool and so nice and could not be more welcoming to her and would sit down and have a conversation with a 10 year old. I think it's a combination of, you know, when you get that type of person who is exceptional at what they do and they have a lot of visibility, whether that be the internet or you go to the event you see them on the stage or on the field or on the TV. And then you're, physically in their presence and you can see the maybe the physicality or the expression of like how incredible it is what they're doing whatever it is whether it be playing the piano or wwf wrestler or watching someone do crossfit or throw a baseball 100 miles an hour kind of that combination i think is what gives you the stars in your eyes you yep. know and you're like i want to do that <laughs> i want to I be, be those people exactly I wanna, I wanna it's easier said than done oh, it is. and 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 that's the humanity of it. Yep. You look back and be like, yeah, look at all the work they put in. Look at all the things they did. Yes, some of them are genetic freaks, but some of them just worked hard yep. and, and put in the work and did, did what they needed to do to get to where they are. And, and that's the most important thing that I try to teach my children is like, you can do anything you want. You're not allowed to quit in the middle. You have to finish. And you can, you can literally do anything that you want. I will support you and back you. Um, you know, with whatever you're passionate about and whether it be horses like my oldest daughter or CrossFit and gymnastics like my, like my, you know, my younger daughter or baseball like my, my son, he's big into baseball, which is why I wanted to segue to baseball. Well, it, like before you even get there, dude, yeah. I'll say like all that stuff, like these, the, the characters we're kind of talking about, like, I think they're, they're all a badass in their own regard. And I think for a lot of times it's like, we tend to focus on the people who have the most visibility, like the celebrities, the actors, the entertainers, the athletes, because they have the popularity and, the, and all that visibility. But I think what that does is it, is it teaches kids to 
maybe they don't have to be like a, a, a major league baseball player or a CrossFit Games athlete, but I think that everyone has the ability to be a badass at what they do in some regard, whether that be the most badass podcaster or the, <laughs> the mom who's like just a fucking stud and yeah. maybe nobody sees it. But I think that to me is what's so exciting is like, yeah, like, you know, everyone has a gift. Everyone has something to offer, something, you know, something that God gave them as their, um, you know, their, what they have to offer the world. And it doesn't always have to be the same thing. It usually isn't, yeah. but they can still be that, that type of badass where they are just like, you know, I saw it with like, um, with athletes, you, you can see the people, the ones who go from like good to great, they have this gear where you can tell like, they don't give a fuck. Like they don't care if they die right now. They don't care if they, yeah. they lose, like they are just all in, like it's, it's a beautiful thing to watch. Yeah. yeah. And, and that's, and that is very well said. Like you see them switch that gear where it's just like, man, not everybody has it. And you yeah. see, and you see the, the opposite too. Like you'll see somebody get up there on the field and just the, you, you see the, the quit. Yep. It's like, no, 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 you can't have that. No, those people, people that are willing to, to push it, to go, you know, to explore what they're capable of and then try to go beyond it. Like I'm, I love athletics. I also love music. Like there, there are some musicians that I'm just so blown away by like drummers that I'm like, wow, like what this guy's doing is incredible. He's like pushing the limits. He doesn't even care, yeah. you know, about the rules or what's good enough. And it's okay. So if, yeah, you're going to, you're going to have me go off on a rabbit yeah. hole with, with music and, and, and drummers. There's a guy on TikTok and Instagram that um, and I cannot remember his name, but it's like El Parazio. Um, I'll have to show it to you if you haven't seen him. But he does like he'll do these drum rolls and he'll just be one hand. Yep. And in the meantime, he's drinking a cup of coffee. Oh, his does, he, does skull, he have the logo with the skull and the this, beard? Yeah. I love watching him. The guy's amazing. He's great. He said he sounds like he's got three arms and he's drumming with one. Yeah. Yeah. And, and have you seen his triple bass pedal? Yep. Oh. I, it, I mean, that stuff to me is so cool because yeah. it's like that it's, it's going beyond yourself, beyond what, what we might consider normal or average is reaching yeah. for, you know, how good can you be? Yeah. At anything, it doesn't matter. And then you look and you're like, well, how is this guy not like the drummer for the Foo Fighters or, or you know, the drummer for some, some this crazy day, band? This day and age, you don't have to be. The game has changed for everyone yeah. with, the, you know, the way the internet works and social media. Like now, like you don't need to have your face on a billboard. You don't need to be, uh, you know, in the magazines to be able to carve out a career in whatever discipline you do. One thing you do have to do is is be really good at it. Yeah. And now everyone can see that. And you don't have to go through the same avenues where, frankly, there's like a lot of red tape for one thing or another. You know, people want to, you know, guard the throne, so to speak. And now it's open season. Yeah, that guy. That guy's insane. Yeah, yeah I, I love that. But we were going to talk about baseball. Yeah. So I was very intrigued when I heard you play baseball. Okay. And, and kind of tell me kind of that story. Um, I was listening actually to a podcast with you um, today. Actually, you know, I, I do some research and, you know find some things out um but you were talking a lot about your childhood and like kind of how you grew up shy and very like reserved and sports kind of brought that out in you when did you when did you originally find sports like when did you start playing baseball so i mean um or, or sports in general the sports to me was like a saving grace in a lot of ways it had nothing to do with just baseball it was like me finding that avenue or that vessel to feel safe enough to express who i really was like you know, when I was a, a little kid, four turning five, my mother and I were in a head-on 
car accident, like collision. We were in an Isuzu rental, pretty small, flimsy, you know, Japanese cars. Yes. Anyways, um, we went head on with a minivan. I believe it was a safari. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, it, it really messed us up. We were in the hospital for weeks. Um, uh, my mom had a lot of injuries, you know, a lot of, a lot of cuts and head injuries and stuff. I had injuries to my stomach and head. So we were there for a while. And when we got out, I mean, I thought I was fine. I, I couldn't tell. I was like a little kid. Like I thought I was fine. But what I realize now looking back is that like, yeah, I had a lot of, a lot of post-traumatic stress because when I went to kindergarten that next year, uh, where the normal kids were interacting and playing and engaged, I was just gone. Like I, w I, w I was, I wouldn't speak. I was just kind of like an empty vessel. They thought I had autism. They really were like, we think he's on the spectrum. He doesn't yeah. react. Like I'm clapping my fingers and he's not getting it. Um, so they pulled me out of school and just gave me some time. So instead of being a very young kindergartner, I would be a little bit of an older kindergartner the next year. Um, but uh, they gave me that time and, and it was okay, but I was very, very shy and scared. Um, I'd say like, I, I couldn't even really tell you the characteristics of, you know, probably my teachers and parents could describe it better than me, yeah. but um, I was just a shell of, of myself, just very timid. And that lasted for a long time until um, like PE class. And in PE class, that's when it was like a, a switch would flip. And all of a sudden, I'm running, I'm screaming, I'm paying attention, I'm engaged. Like, I'm like running the show in PE class. And then outside of PE class, like not talking, not, you know. And so it was sports that gave me the confidence. I think it was to feel powerful, to not feel scared, to feel like I could be aggressive, mm -hmm. you know, because I think maybe that was it a little bit. It's like just being scared to be aggressive, like, you know, afraid to whatever. Um, and even socially, like being afraid to reach out and make friends, being afraid to even up until high school, like being afraid to talk to a girl. Um, you know, it, it was uh, it was a lot of growth and learning for me. But sports, the sporting field and then baseball kind of was my vessel for cultivating who I really was inside. You know, being yeah. being able to be the big version of myself, the version of myself that I was like really proud of and uninhibited by. And and uh, and so as you develop as a young athlete, normally the good athletes are good athletes at most things. You know, when you're a kid, you play every sport and you can tell it's usually the kids that run the fastest that are going to be the best athletes. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, I became clear that I was like pretty gifted at baseball, although I did, you know, track, basketball, football, baseball was the one I started to stand out in a little bit more because I ended up playing with older kids. So when I was in middle school, I was playing with the high school kids. Yeah. When I was in high school, I was playing with the college kids. When I was in college, I was playing with the, the professional guys. So, you know, pl playing up that immediately got like, you know, attention and excitement for like, okay, you know, major league scouts are interested in Dave and there's college scholarships coming in and like, you know, Dave, maybe you should just focus on this. And that just, you know, became part of my identity, probably from my freshman year in high school, my parents, my friend's parents, my teachers would introduce me as Dave, the baseball player. Yeah. And so obviously, you know, 
when you attach a lot of value to that thing that you do and it becomes part of your identity, it's a good and a bad thing. Yeah. Right. It's good that you're like, I'm all in, like, this is what I'm doing. This is where we're going. I was so determined. I knew exactly what I wanted to do. Like, I want to get a scholarship. I want to go play division one baseball at a great school in the South. And then I want to play professional baseball. And it's exactly what I did. And then I got to, uh, you know, in the middle of my professional career, I had, um, a really devastating arm injury. Uh, and it's not uncommon in baseball. It's a, uh, an injury as a pitcher. I, I, was I, I, wasn't, I wasn't always a pitcher, but yeah. at, in high school, I was kind of like a, a shortstop. And, I, you know, in college, I went as a shortstop and I could maybe throw a little bit. And then it became quickly clear that, like, we had this All-American shortstop on the team. Like, Dave, you're not going to play shortstop, but <laughs> you throw the ball really hard. So let's try pitching. And pitching was like, OK, that's it. Great. Like, you're, you're, you're good. That gave me opportunity to kind of continue to play. But then in professional baseball, I hurt my elbow and uh, the ligament on the interior side of my elbow called the ulna collateral ligament just like ripped right off the bone, throwing a slider. You know, it hurts like a knife in the arm, but you could definitely tell immediately like this is not arm soreness, like something's wrong. It feels like feels like I'm getting stabbed every time I try to throw. So surgery and very common surgery in baseball. I call it it's like the ACL of the elbow yeah. for baseball players. And a lot of players have it. That's not, that's not Tommy John. Tommy John yeah, surgery. Tommy John's you surgery. can see yeah, you yeah, get yeah. this guy right here. Oh, yeah. And um, it's, it's common at that time. Like you don't really know. A lot of people are saying like, oh, yeah, you continue to play. It just kind of depends on the surgeon and your recovery and this and that. So, I, you know, I tried to get linked up with like the best surgeon I could um, and rehabbed it. But in the course of the rehab, Again, drawing back to this level of fear and desperation because I don't want to lose my baseball career because that's who I am, right? It's like my identity. It's my value. So I was so determined to come back and keep playing and have a career that I really got into training. Um, My thinking behind it was you can only can control what you can control, right? Obviously, you're going to have the surgery. This is going to be a weak link for you. It's going to be a, a red mark on your career, especially for scouts trying to evaluate you, that yeah. you got to find some way to compensate for that, to make it like, okay, well, you know, if that's going to be a, a, a negative mark on my, on my evaluation, i got to find somewhere else to have a more positive. So yeah. I was thinking I'm going to have to – make everything else as strong and as formidable as possible. Because up until that point, I loved baseball and practicing and pitching and the process of batting practice and skill-specific stuff, but I never was really into training. Training was presented to us, honestly, more as like punishment. You know, like they would make pitchers like run lots of poles or, you know, the training we would do would be just um, – cupcake stuff like you go do some crunches on a bosu ball and do some rotator cuff exercises and then run some poles i I would imagine in a as a pitcher it's kind of treated similar to like how the nfl treats kickers it's like yeah we're gonna protect your arm you know or or like a kicker we're gonna protect your leg and you know just make sure those are good and, and you just go do your you know conditioning stuff but you know we don't need you to crank balls out of the stadium. We don't need you to run fast. You know, we don't need you to do all this stuff. We just need you to be able to throw a ball. Here's what I couldn't get around though. And this was just instinct my part at that point. I wanted to be a major league baseball player. 
all the guys in the major leagues look like monsters, physical outliers, larger than life. They all look like superheroes. Their legs are enormous. Their grip strength is insane. Like they have amazing athleticism. Their ability to express power is off the fucking charts. I want to look like that guy. So I decided after the surgery, I'm going to make myself the strongest player in this organization. And I went so deep into training. You know, I like got, I started at the hospital for special surgery with um, my PT, Mickey Levinson. I don't know if he's still there. He did <laughs> PT for the Mets. And, okay. and he, you know, I, t I told him, I'm like, dude, I'm just, I, I know I got the elbow thing, but like, I got to be bigger and stronger, dude. Like, can you give me a program? We started doing like the most basic things. It was on these Cybex machines where he's like, okay, here's your upper body day. You're going to do lat pull downs and chest press. And then you're going to do some, you know, shoulder press and then some low rows. And then we'll finish with some biceps and triceps, like the most basic stuff you could do. But, yeah. you know, it's the same movements every, every, every day. And like the first time I was cleared, you know, you're not cleared to train, um, with the elbow after the surgery until about four months because the ligament is sewn on so tight that you have a dial fit arm brace system that every week goes five more degrees, wow. right? So you're slowly over time. I mean, I remember just standing with my, my, a weight, like a one pound weight in my hand, just letting it hang off the table and being in so much pain because mm. it's just like pulling on the ligament, trying to get it, you know, they sew it on tight and then it's kind of stretches out to its normal length. Yeah. Um, but once you're cleared to train, your arm is like a fucking noodle. Like it's all emaciated. It's, it's atrophied to the point where like, I don't even recognize, I wasn't that big before, but I didn't really recognize it. And, um, and you know, I was on the machines, like started very light, but as soon as I could kind of see that light at the end of the tunnel, where I'm like, I know I'm really weak right now, but I can compete. I can still train and, and every time I train, I have an opportunity to win and get one inch closer to my goal. That's where I really fell in love with training. It's like starting at four months post-op with like whatever, you know, a quarter of the way down the pin set on these machines. Fast forward three, four months later, everything is pinned down to the bottom. Every machine, <laughs> pins, you know, like everything, yeah. every, you know, I'm like, okay, yeah. And, um, and I could see the the progress. And then when I was out of that, it was like, okay, well, I got all the machines, machines down to the bottom pin. I don't really know where to go from here. I linked up with a friend of mine who was a bodybuilder in college. And uh, he was always asking me like, hey, go, you wanna come to the gym and train with me? And I'm like, no, nah, we, do, we do baseball stuff. Like I can't, I can't do that regular Joe stuff. I'm a special elite athlete. I need a specialized, specialized program yeah. for my rotator cuff. Yeah. I contacted him and I said, Hey bro, I want to, I want to put on weight. I know that you're really in, you know, you know what you're doing. Here's my goal. I'm 170 pounds. I want to be 210 pounds. Let's get there in four months. <laughs> I was like, he kind of laughed, but, uh, you know, we, we did it. <laughs> so, so, uh, and that was the first time that I started to learn a little bit eat, about eating mm -hmm. because like when you're young, and most athletes, like they have no fucking clue how to eat yeah. or how to eat for specific goals. So he's the first person who kind of like taught me about like what macronutrients were and how much protein I'm supposed to eat every day and my caloric goals and having meals frequently and, and all this stuff. So I was doing like all the meathead stuff I could do. Yeah. Um, and, and then we started training like real lifts, 
which I'd never done before. I'd never done deadlifts and back squats and barbell bench, like heavy stuff, you know, and this guy was a big, strong bodybuilder. So I had someone to kind of chase, which was very helpful. And so I think that year, you know, I had the surgery in January. I was like 185 pounds when I had the surgery, but I lost weight post-op. So I got down into the 170s. Then, uh, let's say four months later, I was getting up closer to 190. And then by the time the season rolled around the following February, I was almost at 220 pounds. Now, granted, there's a lot of things (laughs) coming into play here. Now, did your teammates see you like... Like, did you just walk into the locker room one day at 220? Like, during this whole time, you're rehabbing. You're no, doing I was, all this, all I, this was I was with him the whole time. But I time. do remember for the summer, like, when you know, because I wasn't um, around him as much. Um, you know, when I came back and, and started seeing these guys again, kind of going into that next season, um, they were like, wow, you, you got a lot bigger. Like, what happened? And I think it's a lot of things like – one, like finally, like really training, doing things progressively. Uh, that age, that sweet spot I was in, kind of that 21 to 25-year-old yeah. phase, that's when you start to reach muscle maturity. Yep. So the weight, you will go from a boy to a man. Um, and then eating, finally eating. Um, and uh, and then being highly motivated, you know, like I, I had a food diary I was keeping every day and my friends thought I was so funny. And, and the first reaction you get from players and coaches is like, oh, you're you're too big. You're going to be too big to throw. You're going to be too big, you know, too muscle bound. Yeah. Um, but that wasn't the case at all. You know, I was just had <laughs> I was six feet tall. I had a big frame to fill up. Right. And and I came back throwing harder. And that allowed me to stay in the game for years and years after that. But I, that, that experience really made me fall in love with training and that process of thinking like, hey, you know, if, if, I, uh, if I apply some specific stress to my body in a calculated way that's very systematic and, and I do this progressively, I can really change my, my genetics. Yeah. You know, I can, I, can, I can become a different kind of athlete. Um, and that equity that you get from that experience, meaning like not a lot of things in life are fair. What you get in isn't always what you get out, but with training and nutrition, it's the most equitable relationship you'll ever be in. You're going to get out of it exactly what you put into it. So I really fell in love with it. And towards the end of my career, a lot of my teammates, we only be traveling from town to town or something. And the first thing I would do is like, Hey, I got to find the gym. I got to find the gym. Where's the gold's gym? You know, I thought I was like the gym nut guy. I probably was, but uh, they wanted to come train with me and and they'd be like, Hey Dave, put us through your routine. I had some basic stuff that I had learned from my buddy. Like, okay, you know, here's what you want to think about. Here's, you know, sets reps. And, and like in 2005, there wasn't a lot of training knowledge for baseball players back then. It's yeah. evolved a lot. Um, and so at the end of that year, I started feeling like now that I'm, getting closer, you know, to my late twenties and early thirties, I, f- I felt like, you know, maybe, maybe I should look beyond baseball a little bit. Cause I, I don't know, like maybe this will pan out. Maybe I'll end up getting a shot at the big leagues or, you know, if it doesn't work, like, what am I going to do after? Because all of my friends who I had from college, um, they had all established careers 
and families and they were buying homes and houses and setting roots. And I was going from like, you know, the Howard Johnson hotel to the next Howard Johnson hotel. And I was living the same life I had lived since I was 18 years old, you know, like at the ballpark at 12 batting practice at three game going off at seven onto the next city. Um, and I would play from, you know, February all the way to September, take a couple weeks off, go play winter ball somewhere down South, you know, come back home for a few weeks, report to spring training. And I just, I loved it. It was great, but it was like, there was no, you ask yourself like, where is this, where is this going really? You know? And so I thought maybe I should explore and see if I like, I was thinking like, I try to explore to see what do I want to do if it's not baseball, you know, like what, what am I interested in? And during the off season, uh, I, I had spent the previous season studying for the NSCA CSCS. It's a national strength and conditioning association, certified strength and conditioning specialist. It's kind of the gold standard for being a professional strength coach. Cause I was thinking I'm already training my teammates. I really understand and like the pursuit of elite athletic expression. Maybe I should be a strength and conditioning coach for baseball players and football players, guys who want to do what I did, you know, to help elevate their performance on the field. Yeah. Uh, I had worked with coaches like that, like specialist coaches, you know, strength coaches, bodybuilding coaches, like all kinds of stuff. And there's lots of opportunities in major league organizational stuff in collegiate stuff, even in high school for strength coaches. So I was thinking I'll get my CSCS and then I'll try to be a strength and conditioning coach. But, um, when the, when September came around, I was kind of had a couple opportunities, one with a company called athletes performance, which is, if you're in the world of sports performance, you probably know a guy named Mark Verstegen who started Athletes Performance. And he was okay. kind of in the early 2000s, like the main sports-specific guru. Like a lot of guys would go to him before the combine. He worked with a lot of Major League Baseball players. And he had this you know, compound in Arizona. And, and so I applied and, and got a job as an assistant coach at, at one of those places. And then I also got a job uh, offer in New York City at a really exclusive private gym. And the gym was called La Palestra. And La Palestra, fancy. it was fancy. It was very fancy. It was, it was a trip is what it was. Yeah. So um, it's on 62nd and Central Park West. Okay. Okay. You go to this gym and you wouldn't even recognize it as a gym. It's just a door. And no sign, nothing, just a door and a camera. And you go and there's like three security checkpoints. So you go, you scan in, they see you in the camera. You go walk down this hallway with like, you know, it looks like the the history of training, right? Like a museum of all the training stuff in glass cases as you walk down. And then there's another checkpoint. You get scanned in again and you go to the front desk and it's this translucent glass so you can't see in the gym. But inside the gym is a ballroom filled with fitness equipment, nice. okay? Like Cybex fitness equipment, yeah. not even the nicest equipment, yeah. but just like Cybex fitness equipment. And some of it's like, I, li- I liked it because it was like OG, like 1980s, 1970s kind of uh, equipment. Yeah. But it's a gym for very exclusive clientele. Actors, actresses, athletes, people that can't train in a normal gym because they get bothered too much by crazy fans or people who, you know, or they don't want to be seen by them, you go to this gym and it's like, some kind of nutty price tag. <laughs> like, I don't know what it is now, and I think I'm recalling it correctly, and if I don't, I apologize. But um, it's like 50K 
for, for a membership and you got to train with a trainer for like 175 bucks an hour or something, wow. something like that, something very expensive. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, and uh, unlike other uh, gyms where you might get a job as a trainer, uh, we typically would get paid on the hour or by the client. Uh, this gym would offer trainers uh, just a salary to be a trainer. And so when I started there, I was just a trainer on staff and I would sit and just wait for someone to come in who might want to train. And if they wanted to train, they'd be like, well, let's see who we have available. Like, oh, Dave's available. You want to train with him? So like for the first couple weeks, I might have like one client and I would sit. Uh, it was kind of nutty because like they had the ballroom and then upstairs was this like balcony with a library all around the outside. Oh, wow. And, and then uh, within that balcony, there were all these doors that looked like giant closets, which were actually private locker rooms for every member. So every member, you don't go into the Sounds locker. Like John Wick. Yeah, exactly. Every, <laughs> it's, it's really cool. Listen, the, the guy who started this, Pat Menachia, like he's a really brilliant guy. Yeah. Um, and he understood the clientele. He went to college at Brown, played hockey at Brown. It was kind of best buds with John F. Kennedy Jr. So he fell into this like, you know, very high end circle. And as when Madonna was coming up in the eighties, he was her trainer. I guess there were rumors, maybe they dated, who knows what happened. But anyways, he got, he got in with these people and he kind of became, he positioned himself as the go-to person for, you know, people who can't train in a regular gym, they can go, go to Pat and he'll set them up with this super high end gym. I think one of his clients actually financed him to start this thing saying like, Hey, I want to start this Institute where we're going to combine, we do integrative medicine. We'll have a, we'll have a therapist there uh, for people to help them not eat candy bars. <laughs> we'll have a, we'll have a physical therapist to help them with their boo-boos. We'll have a nutritionist to give them their macronutrients. And then we will be the practitioners. So it's kind of like a health meets fitness, you know, kind of, kind of integrative yeah. approach. And it was really appealed to high end people. Everyone gets their own private locker room, their own private file, their own private trainer. Wow. Really cool stuff, right? Yeah. And um, what happened was, as I was working there, uh, I started with like maybe one client a day, and and then um, then it was like two clients a day, and then it started filling up, and then they said, "Hey, Dave, you know this person really wants to train with you, but you're only working from like six a.m. to one p.m. and they want to train at like five. So like, can you come back?" And I'd be like, okay, sure. So now I'm like working a split shift. Yeah. And then it got to the point where I'm like, okay, I'm working like 12, 15 hours a day training people. And my salary is not, going, is not up going up at up. all. Yeah. No, yeah. yeah. And uh, so I was already getting burned out. One of my clients um, who, we, you know, we, when you have clients, like some people, you train them and that's fine. Some people you really connect with yeah. and you become good buddies. Yeah. And to me, those are like the richest and most rewarding relationships because like, yeah, you're pursuing each other together, but you're kind of like a team. And so one of my, one of my clients, uh, his name is Scott Kaysen. He's a great dude. Oh my God. He's still one of my best buds to this day. Yeah. And he was the one who kind of got me out of that gym and, it, you know, for one reason or another, he was just kind of fed up with it. He was like, I don't want to be a member of this gym anymore. I just, I just like training with Dave, like Dave, Dave will just train me. We can go somewhere else. So he said, Hey, I'll, I'll match your salary with what you're, <laughs> what you're making here. So just train me. Yeah. And I'm like, okay. Like, that's amazing. And he's like, oh yeah. And I got some buddies too. And they'll do the same. And so, uh, my income tripled and my hours decreased, you know, 75 fold. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and that's how I started kind of private training people. And, and you know, from there, I, I was uh, I was kind of 
you know, just doing stuff on my own is renting gym space in Manhattan and training these people. Spring training comes around and I'm like, okay, like I'm doing good here. Like I've, I've got this roster of clients that I'm building. I'm starting to kind of come up with my own method of training, like my own yeah. kind of style. I'm, I'm getting lots of practice training people. Uh, this has potential. Why would I go back and just play another season of baseball to go make, you know, 2,500 bucks a month living in the Howard Johnson hotel again, <laughs> and then have to start from zero. Yeah. I'm just going to stay here and continue to do this. And that's what kind of, that's how I ended up leaving baseball is like, and I'm very grateful that a lot of athletes don't get the opportunity to leave under uh, the, the circumstances that they want, right? Like, like it was my choice to leave. It wasn't someone else's choice. You didn't get and cut. It, exactly. It wasn't an injury. You didn't, you didn't get released. It wasn't a career ending injury. It wasn't the kind of thing because I feel like when that happens, it can be really hard to kind of let go of it. And it is hard to let go of it anyways. Yeah. Um, but, but I'm grateful that it was like, you know, my decision so that I didn't have to have that kind of like chip on my shoulder or feel like I could have done more or tried this or that. Like I was, I was good. I was satisfied. I was like really grateful to have that pro career. I felt like I got everything I wanted to get out of it. It was a wonderful amazing time in my life but with training I you know I was like optimistic that you know maybe maybe this could be just as good maybe it could even be better who knows and it ended up to me personally being a much more gratifying endeavor um and and beneficial one than than playing sports ever was because you know when you play sports it's great you know you can inspire some people you sign an autograph for a kid you get to chase your dream but that's really just for you yeah. You know, or, or the city, you know, a city you're playing with, sure. you know, bring a yeah, championship. Yeah. But um, with training, you can really change someone's life in, in a very real, impactful way that they will never forget. Yeah. Um, so I, I think that, you know, personally, it's, it's a little bit more gratifying doing that. And, you know, it's, it's, it's something where if you are good at it and you're passionate about it and you're determined you can actually carve out a, a lasting career. Yeah. You, you know, it's not easy. There's definitely better ways to make money. Um, but if you have the skill and the passion and the talent and the drive, you know, you can, um, you can earn a living doing something that you love to do. Yeah. And so, so you take that you, and you know, we know, of course you go to, you, you end up meeting Dave at, at the ranch for, you know, going to the CrossFit games and, and doing that and transitioning to that whole, whole side. Um, you know, so you take that training, you go kind of a, a full 360, you go, you know, from training clients to now working with the, working with the company. So just doing it on your own to working with the company being CrossFit. And then of course, from that, you know, building up, you know, all the way, all the way full circle with Thunderbro. Like it's such a kind of a whirlwind and there's like a whole bunch of pa to pack in there, but that story, you know, has kind of been told. So, I don't, you know, I don't want to go too deep into that because you know we've heard that but like where along these paths have you found these you know do you feel like it's just kind of something that's just naturally come as like just different checkpoints in your life that you just kind of not necessarily fall into the right place but just these things kind of line up for you um and also i want to you know kind of you know had you not gone to crossfit obviously you probably wouldn't have met camille so how did that whole thing come about because uh, it's it's funny because in the, in like the CrossFit realm, there's not a lot of couples that you see. So you guys are making it, you know, making it happen, making it work, and you're kind of like 
the 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 power couple <laughs> of of CrossFit. Like I can't think of too many others that kind of have that lasting relationship in it. So how did that whole thing come about and and get you where you are here? So th- there's a saying in baseball, and I don't think it's exclusive to baseball. I've heard other people use it, but they use it a lot in baseball. And the saying goes. You got to be able to read the writing on the wall. Hmm. And to me, what that means is that the universe is always talking to you. It's always pushing you. It's always putting something in your path. It's always giving you an idea of which direction you should go. You might not like what it's saying. (laughs) It might not be what you think you want or what you think you need. But if you can be willing to listen to it, with a level of hope and optimism and humility for maybe what you think is the right thing to do or what you think is going to make you happy. Maybe you don't fucking know. Maybe you don't. And if you have the balls to try, it might open up something that could be unbelievable. You just don't know. You have to be willing to try and you have to be willing to listen. So for me, Going back to training, you know, I discovered CrossFit and I was thinking, man, this is really cool. Like, I'm loving this is like opening up a whole new realm of possibilities for me. I was kind of pissed when I started doing CrossFit because I was like, oh, man, I've been really into training for years and years. And I feel like I've never really done it right before. You know, just the first time doing an overhead squat, like I couldn't even get to the bottom of the movement. I never really tried an Olympic lift before, never kipping. I what thought, I thought I was in shape. What the fuck is a Did kipping I? pull-up? Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, damn, I'm discovering all this stuff, but my baseball career's over when I could have really used it. But yeah. okay. So and, and then I said, well, maybe I'll try to bring this to my clients because this is gnarly. Like people are going to love this. I'll integrate it with some training and you know, like going up to the CrossFit games, like I, I didn't go up there to compete at all. I just wanted to check it out. And someone said, hey, are you a spectator or are you a competitor? And I was like, motherfucker, I'm a competitor. You know, <laughs> oh, I'm a winner, I'm here to compete. This, I'm a winner. I don't care if it's my third CrossFit workout. Like, I'm here to compete. Come on. Uh, so, you know, having that willingness to explore things, that curiosity has been a guiding light for me just to be able to kind of like, listen and read and, and, and try to sometimes let go of, of, um, the pressures we put on ourselves sometimes just to kind of give it a shot, you know? So giving CrossFit a shot that opened up the door to me, like, you know, sparking up a friendship with Dave. Hey, you want to come to a level one? Yeah, sure. I'll give it a shot. Okay, great. Now I'm, you know, you want to try to intern? Okay. There was no necessity that none of that was an end state, right? None of it was like, hey, you're going to get this reward. Like you're going to do this or get this. It was more along the lines of like, hey, you know, I think I could be good at this if I pursued it. Maybe, maybe it's nothing, but maybe it's something, you know? Um, And then that obviously, you know, gave me um, a lot of, a lot of opportunity from CrossFit. I'm very grateful to CrossFit for the platform that it gave me and my wife for us to explore and express our gifts. If it wasn't CrossFit, it would have been something else, but it was CrossFit. It happened to be that. Right. And, um, and, and, you know, getting to be on seminar staff, like I was such a shy kid growing up. I had no idea that I would ever be a good public speaker. Like that never even occurred to me uh, that I could be good at that. I'd never tried before. I didn't know. 
And, um, and I think that that was a wonderful skill that I developed and, and just like, you know, the, being able to have intricate knowledge of a system, getting the opportunity to play the role of a teacher. Like I never thought I would be a, you know, someone teaching about fitness. I was like, I'm just an athlete. I'm here to lift weights. Um, and, uh, and then even, you know, with Camille, you know, we, we met instantly. I heard my grandfather's voice in my head because we didn't meet under great circumstances, right? Like I, I was in a relationship, she was in a relationship, we yeah. lived near, nowhere near each other, but there was something different about like um, what I felt, you know, getting to, to be with Camille for a short, just we were there for, together for like a long weekend. Mm -hmm. It was very clear to me that this is something different because a lot of the relationships that I'd had, you know, they, they come and they go, you know, they're, they're great and they're wonderful. But when you meet your wife, when you meet your husband, when you meet your spouse, you're like, no, this is, I felt like, I felt like I had, I, uh, I was, I felt like I knew she was my wife, but I was just meeting her for the first time, you know? Hmm. Um, and so I followed that instinct and, you know, dismantled a life that was pretty fun and pretty cool, uh, just to kind of pursue that and pursue her. Yeah. And, um, and then, you know, with CrossFit, I had gotten to a point where I was in a pretty good groove. You know, I was like, I worked for a decade teaching seminars, a lot of weekends, you know, 40, 50 seminars yep. a year. Uh, and this was the sweet time in CrossFit where like the seminars were popping off, oh, the yeah. affiliates yeah, were yeah. growing, the growth was uh, fast and hard. There was exponential growth. Here's a deal with Reebok. We're going to be on ESPN, you know, big sponsorship deals, growth, opportunity, all kinds of wonderful things. Um, and I think in the course of my training career, I got to teach. I mean, if you do the multiplication on this, you got about 50 people in a seminar. You're teaching 40, 50 seminars a year. You're doing that for a decade. It's like 20,000 trainers that you've yeah. gotten to, tr to train, to work with, to yeah. teach firsthand. Um, and uh, I get to the point where I'd seen enough and experienced enough that I just didn't, I, I had my own ideas on fitness. You know, I, I had like, you know, I, I see a lot of wonderful value and utility and context with all fitness methodologies, not just CrossFit, mm -hmm. not just powerlifting, not just bodybuilding, not just endurance sports, but, uh, you know, just to kind of um, reduce yourself and, and uh, you know, uh, make yourself exclusive to one. To me, I wanted to, I wanted to explore more. You yeah. know, because I had gotten to the point where I had personally like dealt with a lot of injuries, shoulder injuries, back injuries that really like it, it didn't match up with me. Like I was no longer really making progress in CrossFit. I try the competition thing, but, you know, at this point, I'm like, I'm kind of going downhill. Like I'm not getting much stronger. I'm just kind of getting more beat up. Camille, as an athlete, she had done the same thing where like she was just kind of breaking down for the shoulder thing and a back thing. And now her hormones are all messed up. And it was kind of after I had a major back surgery because my back had gotten so bad uh, that the discs were just torn to smithereens. And yeah. uh, these nerves that come out of the foramen canals in the spine that are supposed to look like strands of spaghetti looked like fettuccine, you know, and, and I was losing feeling in my legs. 
And it was to the point where I'm like, I don't think there's enough mobility wad or ROM wad or active release devices or e-stim devices or, you know, PVC work that's going to fix this. Um, you know, the discs were just cracked and black and gone. I was like, okay, they're back there. Like, gonna, the gonna need it. Gonna stop. need a surgery. Gonna need a surgery. Yeah. And I think a lot of people uh, m- might be able to relate to this feeling because to me, this like really took the wind out of my sails. I love, I love expressing myself athletically. I love that. I find the joy in movement. I love the intensity of CrossFit. I love the community, but I love like that athletic expression from the time I was a little kid. That's my identity, Dave, the baseball player, right? So to feel like that was getting taken taken away from me was like really heartbreaking. And it deflated me to the point where like, I, I felt like that shy Dave again. Like I was just like dick in the dirt, you know, not really the big version of myself. Yeah. And yet every weekend I'm telling people how intensity is the cure-all. And there's this black box that magically will give you whatever you want as long as you go as hard as you can. You know, And, and I'm like, I, I just don't believe that anymore. I think there has to be, at least for, for within a certain context, there has to be a more thoughtful progression for people. Because when you start doing CrossFit, just like me as an athlete, but for most people, doing these high utility compound functional movements provides an enormous stimulus for growth and progress that comes fast and hard. The first time you get someone who's never done an air squat before and you start teaching them how to squat and how to deadlift and how to do presses and pull-ups and real movements that provide real value, like a lot of bang for your buck, the progress comes fast and hard and it is highly, highly effective. However, once you get past that honeymoon period, where you're no longer progressing up so much. And now the, you know, usually it's kind of like a plateau and then I got this shoulder thing and then I got this back thing or physically like you get yourself, maybe you're overweight and now you're in pretty good shape, but you're not able to kind of make that next step into that, you know, elite level. Just like we say with diet, that's where the precision and the accuracy becomes important. And one thing people don't realize is that as you gain capacity to do these high intensity functional movements, you're also gaining more and more capacity to hurt yourself. <laughs> you know, you, you get somebody doing a deadlift with an empty barbell and you say, okay, yeah, you're going to, you know, you're going to bow over and grab that bar and try to arch your back and pick it up. And let's say their back rounds and they pull it all the way around their knees and it looks awful. They're still fine. They're still safe. It's an empty barbell. Yeah. But now when you get someone who actually has the strength to pull a little bit of weight and they're moving as fast as they can with a lot of weight, that combination of speed and load is the recipe for injury. And it's like Russian roulette. Like, yeah, maybe you get away with that a few times. But if you do that every single day, you're playing a dangerous game. And that's what I found Like for, for my wife and I. We wanted to find a way to do this smarter because we love you know, because we love functional fitness, because we love CrossFit, we knew we had to change it so that we could keep doing it. Yeah. And, um, and so after surgery, you're lying down on this couch where you're just completely immobile. Cammy had this like little handheld urinal. She'd have to help me go to the bathroom. <laughs> it was a nightmare. Wipe my butt. Like really it's a, it's a moment for some self-reflection. Right. <laughs> and I was thinking, Dave for both of you. <laughs> yeah. Like Dave, you, you know, you're a good guy. You're a good guy, Dave, but just, you know, this is where you have a conversation with yourself. Everyone has their adult 
voice and their child voice, yeah. right? And I was like, Dave, you're a good guy, but you, you, you got to be a little smarter here because I know that you love training. This is your career. This is your passion. This is, you know, this means so much to you. And now you've been given this like new lease on your training life. They fixed your backup. They're going to, you're going to be okay. Like you're going to get the, you're not, you're not going to lose the function of your leg. Like this is, this is all good. Hey, what are you going to do to honor that? Like, what are you going to do to respect that gift? The fact that you were able to get a surgery to fix yourself, you know, um, are you going to go back to just doing what you were doing or are you going to learn from this and come back smarter? So for me personally, it just started like all this stuff. It starts with myself. Like, I'm like, no, I, I'll have to figure out a way to kind of do this a little bit better. And so I was thinking, you know, what do you want to do? Maybe, maybe you get into like powerlifting. You like to be strong. Like I was always a very strong guy. Yeah. Powerlifting could be cool, but you know what? I don't think that's going to keep me off the surgery table. I think no, it's kind of a different no, version of the same thing. Yeah. Um, like, okay, well, Olympic lifting. I'm like, Olympic lifting is virtuosity and all this stuff. I'm like, no, that it's just more heavy lifting, Dave. Like, yeah. it's still that heavy as possible thing. Okay, what about bodybuilding? Well, I thought I had new bodybuilding. You know, a lot of people have the same sentiment. Like, oh, I tried bodybuilding before. But what I realized is, like, I never really done it before like just like when you ask somebody if they do crossfit like doing a burpee and a thruster doesn't mean you're doing crossfit going and doing three sets of 10 on a machine like when i did with mickey levinson back in the pt like that's not bodybuilding that's an imitation of bodybuilding if you're not sure. you're not doing it until you're doing it so you know a lot about performance you know a lot about functional fitness you know a lot about crossfit but you don't know jack squat about bodybuilding so why don't you try to learn about that a little bit so i go online and i buy a book I buy this book called The Science of Muscle Hypertrophy by a guy I had heard of before, Dr. Brad Schoenfeld, who's a PhD and he is the world's foremost expert in hypertrophy. Hypertrophy describes one way that cells adapt to stress. When a cell increases in size beyond its normal size, it's gone through hypertrophy. Okay. And this stress can include inflammation, hormonal stimulation, or an increased workload for the sake of what we're talking about, increasing the cross-sectional size and strength of muscle, building muscle, muscle hypertrophy, yeah. that's what I was interested in. How do I get myself bigger and stronger without lifting heavy? That's the question I wanted to answer. And so I read this book, I got my highlighter out, you know, I'm recovering from back surgery, I'm like highlighting all this stuff and this and yeah, you gotta, I reached out to Dr. Schoenfeld thinking like, he's not gonna answer me, but I'm gonna reach out to him. And he answered me back and we started talking and I told him a little bit about me, like, Hey, I used to play baseball and they did CrossFit, coached my wife, you know, now I just had surgery and I want to, I want to explore the idea of combining functional fitness with hypertrophy training. Everything I've seen is on machines. It's exclusively for aesthetics. I want to know if you can build an American gladiator. Like I want I want to know if you can have a very athletic bodybuilder that's using compound high utility functional movements to grow the muscle so that it's not just a display model only thing. Yeah. And, and also how do I do that without using a lot, a lot of weight? Cause the doctor says I can't lift heavy anymore cause I'm too fucked up. Yeah. And so we had a long conversation. We kept on DMing back and forth and we actually collaborated on ideas and we landed on a recommendation he gave to me it was this OG bodybuilder named Vince Geronda. Okay. Uh, and if you know of Vince Durante, you may have heard of him before. He was like a golden age bodybuilder from the 50s, 60s, and 70s. Okay. 
And he had a lot of innovative ideas. Like he was the first proponent of a low carb diet. In fact, the steak and eggs diet, that's Vince Gironda. And uh, he he was kind of like, he wasn't as well known as a bodybuilder because he had such a lean aesthetic that at that time he didn't even look like the other bodybuilders. He was like the most shredded bodybuilder at the time. And if you get a chance, go look him up because he looks amazing. And um, he had a system that was designed around this idea of eight sets of eight reps, eight by eight. And with these eight sets of eight reps, you do eight reps, you only take 30 seconds rest between your sets, and you do it with a three-second negative. So you're using a lot of the principles that I was learning from Dr. Schoenfeld, you know, some of the mechanisms he talks about for targeting muscle hypertrophy are things like um, muscle micro-tearing, right? Creating muscular damage and primarily through the the use of slow and controlled eccentrics. Mm -hmm. Uh, Muscle tension, just, you know, not moving the weight as fast as you can, but having slow, steady building tension on the muscle. And metabolic stress, being able to exacerbate the byproducts of muscle contraction, the uh, hydrogen and lactate buildup that causes inter and intracellular swelling in the muscle, what people call the pump, it's metabolic stress. So we were looking at the system, I'm like, man, I think he's got a lot of these principles at play. He's got the slow and controlled eccentrics, he's got the uh, truncated rest periods for the metabolic stress, and it's only 40% of your one rep max. So, you know, I, I tried it myself first, I'm like, let me try this out. I was like, holy shit, this is really fucking hard. What if instead of me doing this on like machines, like lap pull down, leg extension, what if I was like, how about a wide grip pull up with a band and maybe like a barbell bent over row or, you know, like some of the more compound movements that we do in CrossFit. So you're not just like, you're not, you're still getting to work on things like coordination and balance too, as you do this. And so I wrote the program for myself. I did it after surgery. Like every time you have surgery, you lose a bunch of weight. I went down to 200 pounds, did the program, got back up to 220 in like, you know, in in a few months. Along with that, there's obviously like nutritional protocols, right? So you got to eat a caloric surplus. You got to have a positive nitrogen balance. You're eating more food than your body needs. You're eating plenty of protein to help support muscle protein synthesis. But that, that alone is a good, especially for a CrossFitter who typically doesn't train that way in a systematic, like, you know, okay, I'm gonna give myself the recovery time between body parts to do this. I'm following an actual progression and program where I can try to like progressively overload these movements without the idea of constantly varied inhibiting that 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 process. Yeah. Um, I saw, you know, progress fast and hard and thought, oh man, I gotta, I gotta start, we gotta jam this together with CrossFit. Like we gotta have this in some way, there's gotta be a zillion ways we can pair this stuff together. And so um, I had uh, had a meeting with, Dave Castro and Nicole Carroll, who were the directors of training at the time at CrossFit. Yep. And uh, they came up to Camille and I, this is when they had like a competitor program or a competitor course that was suffering. And they said uh, they wanted Camille to come up with a course or, you know, she and I had done like little seminars and stuff together. I think, I think they wanted to kind of like revamp that course to bring some more popularity to it. And they were like, you know, would you guys be interested in doing a course? I'm like, yes, I got this idea for CrossFit hypertrophy. And they're like, what do you mean? I'm like, yeah, like how, how can you specifically just target or bias towards muscle growth with the CrossFit method and the functional movements? And they laughed at me. They were like, what do you mean, like bicep curls? And I'm like, 
No, it's a lot more than bicep curls. Like I, I, at this point now, I'd spent almost a year just studying the science of muscle hypertrophy with Dr. Schoenfeld, and I'm talking about all these methods and mechanisms, and you know how how you can manipulate the movements where it's not just about what you're doing, but how you're doing it that can make such a huge difference in that adaptation process. And I was like, why don't I just? I'm going to write a paper about it because I like to write, and I'd written for written for um, you know different magazines, Muscle and Fitness, and yeah, CrossFit Journal before. And I wrote this paper called the uh, hypertrophy for functional fitness. And as I wrote it, it got really long. It had ended up being almost a hundred pages long. And I was like, it's a labor of passion. <laughs> so I'm about to submit it. And I got like a little weird feeling because uh, you know, CrossFit, they, they like to protect themselves a lot. Right. And, yeah. and I, I called up the uh, guy from the head of the CrossFit journal. I don't, I don't know his name is Mike Worskin, maybe or something, something like that. Um, I said, Hey, I got this really long article. It's probably a multiple series kind of thing, but if I submit it to you, would you guys own it? And he goes, yeah, we would own it. And I go, forget that. Yeah. You, just, you guys are just not going to do much with this anyways. I've put so much effort into this. I really believe in it. So I'm going to, uh, I'm just going to put it out myself. And so I did that. And that was the beginning of Thunderbro. It's like that, that paper, like here's, what hypertrophy is here's functional fitness here's how it pairs together well and we talk about a couple of different athletes like why would a crossfit athlete want to do this stuff well if you're injured it's a great way to avoid and get yourself out of injuries you're building the cross-sectional size and strength of these really critical joints that tend to break down when you're doing these high intensity functional movements so this needs to be present in your program just to preserve yourself yeah. so you can you know avoid that orthopedic breakdown and you're still building strength yep that's the second argument yeah it's like you know you get to the point in crossfit where you have all these different physical skills you've been developing and there's there's a couple different models crossfit uses to describe fitness but one is this model of the 10 general physical skills and it's cardio respiratory endurance stamina strength power and speed coordination accuracy agility and balance the top four, they call them biological adaptations because there's physical change in the tissue. Like, you know, you could do a cross-section or biopsy of the muscle and you can see these changes happening. The bottom four, they're neurological adaptations, meaning it's like how well your brain's communicating with the muscles, patterns, positions, timing, that kind of stuff. And then the middle two are influenced by both power and speed. You can get that by becoming bigger, stronger or increasing, you know, how well your brain communicates with your body. But most CrossFitters, once they get to that point where they're a few years deep, they already know how to cheat really well, right? You already know like how to do a kipping pull-up, yeah. how to bounce the weights off the ground to get a little bit more, how to you know use your legs in a push press to help drive the weight overhead. So it's not really necessarily in the neurological adaptations that a lot of these athletes have the most opportunity to grow and expand their athletic performance but it's actually in the biological adaptations, is increasing the cross-sectional size and strength of your muscles, which is your contractile potential. So potential's only potential unless you use it. Your neurology is what allows you, you know, it's, it's what makes like, you know, an athlete who's 200 pounds with X amount of muscle can outlift an athlete who's 250 pounds uh, with, with even more muscle because he knows how to use it better. Right. So I think the biggest opportunity for growth is is not in more practice and, you know, just continuing to practice the skills of CrossFit, 
but it's in actually becoming a more formidable athlete. If you think about this in the analogy of software and hardware, software being the programming, hardware being the machine, yeah. it's not better software that most people need. They need a bigger machine. They need a more powerful machine. And then the last argument, which honestly for me and most of my athletes is the, the biggest one, is personal gratification of loving what you see in the mirror. Before I started CrossFit and I got into training, like, yeah, I was into the sports performance stuff, but really, I wanted, I wanted to look like a superhero. I wanted to be the biggest, strongest guy on the team. I wanted to have that imposing physicality where you're wearing your work on your body and you walk into a room and people go, wow, that person really trains. Like, yeah. that's, that's an outlier. That's a physical outlier. You know, that, that uh, American gladiator kind of like bo athletic bodybuilder. Like that's what I was always very excited about. But it's funny because that's one of the things that I looked at, especially as an American gladiator, like going back to you know my childhood, like how many Saturdays would I stay up just, you know, watching American gladiator reruns and, and all the episodes, but the, 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 the physique, but also the physicality. Yes. Cool. And I think that's the what was probably the biggest turnoff to me in bodybuilding is that they would have the physique, but they wouldn't necessarily have the physicality to be able to do anything with it, which is where I think this threads that needle of being able to have the physique of a bodybuilder, but also have the functional ability to do things that a gladiator does, <laughs> you know, an American gladiator does or, or that a CrossFitter does. You know, you, yeah, you can go out and do a CrossFit workout, but still look like, you know, this Greek God as well at the same time. I think that's the, that's the needle that, that has not been thread by the industry. I think people confuse what we do with bodybuilding yeah. or with CrossFit. It's neither. Yeah. It's not form or function. It's both together. It's bridging the gap between aesthetics and performance. Mm -hmm. And like you mentioned, we don't want people who are just display models only. And we don't want people who, you know, are, are, can really do some cool athletic things, but just look like normal average Joes. We kind of want both together. And so that, that's really the space that we're in, is creating that compromise. Just like we say, hey, CrossFit's a compromise. You're not going to be great at any one thing. Well, we're the compromise in between bodybuilding and functional fitness or sports performance is like, hey, yes, they're tied and they're married together. There's a reason why elite athletes look like elite athletes whether it's the demands of their training that gave them that physicality and that physique, or maybe it's um, the fact that um, they were born with that physique that allows them to express that kind of athletic performance. It doesn't matter. What matters is that you understand there's a relationship there between those two. And as someone who's coming into the gym because of those very popular two reasons, I want to look good and I want to feel good, yeah. why wouldn't you create a system that allows people to achieve those goals really, really well. Because I, what I found is that I was kind of getting peer pressured by the community at HQ, uh, by a lot of my friends and colleagues, um, that it was all about CrossFit and the whiteboard. Like, this is what my goal should be. This is how I should train. I shouldn't train any other way. I should just focus on that. I'm like, I kind of feel like I'm, that's not actually why I'm at the gym. Like I'm at the gym because I want to look really good. I want to feel strong and be able to do stuff. And most importantly, I don't want to be hurt anymore yeah. because I like doing this. And, and I get really discouraged when I get hurt. So maybe 
maybe I got to stop worrying about doing the CrossFit Open. Maybe I don't need to do a CrossFit workout as hard as I can every day. Maybe there are some movements that I should completely avoid because I know that although I can do it, Probably shouldn't. I shouldn't do it. And as you get older, one of the most important things that you can learn as an athlete in training is exercise selection. That honestly, like once you get to that point where like, okay, you know, you're getting a little banged up or some things aren't working for you anymore. You need to be really careful because if you just do what's programmed on the board because it's programmed, you're not executing an intelligent program. You got to, you got to think about this as not a view of days and weeks and months, but years. How long do you want to train for? I mean, how long do you want to train for? Yeah. Forever. I want to train yeah. until I can't get out of the chair anymore. Well, and, that's, like, and that's the biggest thing is is the pride that you have going into the box or you know or, or doing things is like I've it took me so many years to learn. Hey, you know what? It's okay to scale. It's okay for me to not do the weight that's prescribed. It's okay for me to back off and and not you know. Okay, it's handstand pushups. Great. I'm gonna die if I do like the regular handstand push-up. So let me scale it somehow. Let me do a pike. Let me do something else. Let me do something that's not going to put such an impact on my body or on my neck or on, or on things and, and being okay with it. Yep. And I don't understand why we would praise athletic performance so much and then diminish aesthetics, the pursuit of aesthetics. Yeah. It digs, makes no sense to me, especially when they mutually benefit each other. Yeah. I mean, think about this, dude. As a CrossFitter, okay, <laughs> You have so many valuable skills that most people that ever go into a gym, will, will, they will never have, okay? Number one, you know how to move. You know how to do an air squat. You know how to pick up a, a barbell off the ground and deadlift properly. Maybe you know how to even Olympic lift something really advanced. You can do pull-ups. You can do basic calisthenics. Like You understand how to do these compound, high-utility functional movements that have tremendous bang for your buck and utility in and out of the gym. If you go into crunch fitness, you're either not going to see those movements happening at all or you're going to see them happening terribly. Yes. So right now, you have the advantage. Second thing, you know how to train with intensity. You'll do pull-ups until your fucking hands bleed. You'll work out so hard, you'll puke in a bucket. <laughs> but at the same time, now you have the ability to really hurt yourself too, don't you? Yeah. So all you got to do is put in the bumper lanes and channel that stuff in the right direction. And now it's game changer. Like you're going to blow everyone away. When I got into bodybuilding, I got laughed at when I walked into one of the most famous bodybuilding gyms on the West Coast, Armbrust Pro Gym, home of Phil Heath, seven-time Mr. Olympia. Got like 60 IFBB pros there. I said, I'm a CrossFitter. I want to compete in bodybuilding. <laughs> okay, good luck, pal. Yeah, I wasn't. I was a lot smaller than I was now. Sure, sure. I was like, huh. I'm like, okay. And you're back at the bottom of the totem pole. What earned me so much street cred and respect is when we got to training and they were like, okay, you're going to do it like this. You're going to do these. I would push harder and farther than any of the, even the pro guys that they had. So my progress came fast and hard. And now pair that with a lifestyle that matches up with that. Pair that with a diet that matches up with that. Pair that with some strategic internal medicine, getting with a good doctor who can help optimize your internal chemistry, and you can achieve insane things. All you gotta do is take those skills and point it in the right direction. 
it doesn't even need to be a perfect direction. Yeah. But it's so much better than constantly varied. And it's so much more intelligent than, yeah, there's this black box and something happens in the middle and you just kind of come out fitter. Yeah. You know, there's a lot more thinking and strategy behind it. Well, and what's the biggest thing? It's like you, you put in the work, you want to get the credit for it. The credit is you look like you put in the work. Yeah. yeah, as opposed to just going in and beating yourself against the wall and not looking like you do it. And that can be a slippery slope too, by the yeah. way. You know, it's just the same thing as like, you know, uh, putting so much value on your score on the whiteboard or your athletic performance or how you performed in the open. Like you can get dysmorphia very fast, body dysmorphia. And you got to remember, like at least for me and what I advocate to people is to thrive, not just survive, right? To to be the person you want to be, have the physicality you want, have the performance you want, have the health that you want. Yeah. Because it can become an unhealthy thing the same way like for Camille, being a CrossFit Games athlete was becoming a very unhealthy thing for her from both an orthopedic and hormonal perspective. You know, doctors told her yeah, she's never going to be able to have kids because she doesn't even have any hormones anymore. She's like so stressed out from training like a maniac for years and years. Yeah. Um, it, you know, it, it has to be that idea of, you know, we, we want that compromise. I'm never going to be a professional bodybuilder. I'm never going to be in the Olympia. I, I don't, I don't want to be, I just want to be the best looking guy at the beach far and wide. I want to love what I see in the mirror. I want, I want to look nothing like the other 41 year old guys. Yeah. Redefine the dad pod. Ex exactly. Yeah. And I want to be, I want to feel strong. I want to feel like I'm still progressing. Um, but like with, with all that, there has to be that view of the long game, the health and longevity, longevity and quality of life. And so, you know, even for me, exploring regenerative medicine and hormone replacement therapy and human optimization, even for me, that has been something where I'm willing to explore it and get into it as long as it doesn't take me away from that end goal. And what I found what a lot of people do is they conflate these things into like, oh, I'm going to categorize it. Drugs are bad. CrossFit's good. Bodybuilding's bad. Processed food's bad. Real food's good. Yeah. That's not how it works. Yeah. There's context and utility for all that, and they all serve your goal. So if you do it in an intelligent way, I think that that's the formula for people. But you got to be willing to, like I said, read the writing on the wall. Like, just be willing to be curious enough to try because most of my views and opinions have evolved and changed throughout the years. And the people whose opinions and, um, and methodologies have not changed are in exactly the same place they were. Yeah. They haven't moved. They're exactly the same. Yeah. And yeah. it's one of those things that even, even in knowledge, you're striving for the next thing, the, the next thing to make yourself better and to grow. And it's important to, you, you know, we say constantly varied. And it's funny that we have a, a, a whole methodology that's all about constantly varied and then just doesn't always vary. Like it's, it's, it's just the same thing, just kind of, you know, rebuilt on, uh, di on different platforms, but now not being able to build past that and get to the next thing and take what's good from here and take what's good from here. I mean, CrossFit itself says play other sports. Yep, exactly. <laughs> okay. Well, what's another sport? Well, bodybuilding is a sport, you know, I, you know it's not just, it's well, not just your, your stereotypical baseball, football, basketball, you know, tennis, pickleball, whatever, whatever sport you want to play. It's also finding other methodologies and adapting that to what you're doing, which I, is, which is where you're, you're I left at. CrossFit HQ. I, you know, said, hey, I, I don't really want to teach seminars anymore in 2019. So I don't really know how the seminars curriculum has evolved 
in the time that I was there for a decade, it did not, it was still, Greg once said this, you know, and, uh, and, you know, sometimes they reorganize it, but it's like the same exact information, but there used to be specialty courses and there was a CrossFit Olympic lifting course. There was a CrossFit powerlifting course. There was a CrossFit endurance course. CrossFit football. CrossFit football course. Kids. Yeah. Why couldn't there be a CrossFit bodybuilding? Why couldn't there be? Why couldn't you be the type of athlete who really likes aesthetics, maybe even like to try to get on stage every once in a while and do a show, but you still want to have a good base of general physical fitness Mm -hmm. and you still want to be more than a display model only. Why couldn't you do that? Why is that? Why is that wrong? Why, why is that um, disregarded? It doesn't, it doesn't make sense to me, especially when I feel like there's so much benefit. It's like, you know, I, I think about questions and answers, problems and solutions, okay? So if I were to look at CrossFit as a whole and say, what do I love about this? I love the, the athletic functional movements. I mean, that's, that's the cat. You got, oh, yeah. you got to have that in a pro. If you're not practicing these things, you're not really pursuing athleticism, right? So, and the utility, the benefit, the, the potency, un, undeniably um, unrivaled. So I love that. I love the community, right? Like the, going to a gym, like I think when you go to a regular gym and you talk to a stranger... It's a little bit weird. It's they. <laughs> it, it, it's very. It's, it's kind very of weird. like, hi, I'm here with the Church of Jesus Christ and Latter Day Saints. Would you like a pamphlet? <laughs> it's like, it's it's very hard well, when you're in the gym like that. It's like it's like for us guys, if somebody comes up and stands next to you in a urinal, yep. like they get on a treadmill and they start talking to you, and you're like, Why are you oh, talking to me? What do you want from me? <laughs> right? And in CrossFit, it's like it's such a um, easy place to meet and connect with people. The reason why it's easy is because you're all bonded through shared suffering. Yep. You know, you nobody looks good doing CrossFit. You know, and it's okay. It, it's it's it, it's such a. It really breaks down those barriers. Like you know, I went to the gym this morning. It was like, a, and I go to CrossFit gym. I I do CrossFit class sometimes, but ev- you know at least three to five times a week, I'm doing hypertrophy training. Mm-hmm. And I walked into this Esporta fitness, like LA fitness. And like people were walking in, they're like fully done up, like hair done, <laughs> eyelashes. Like, the, you know, I'm like, they don't want to sweat. They don't want to grunt. It, it, it's, you know, you're, you're really, it, it, um, it makes you a little apprehensive to just be there to do what you're there to do, which is to work hard and to change your body. Yeah. Um, in CrossFit, that's not a thing. It, yeah. don't, nobody cares. No, nobody cares if you're sweating, you have snot on your face. Like, <laughs> nobody cares. <laughs> they care that you work hard, and they care that you 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 play fair. Like you try to hit, you don't cheat or whatever. Yeah. Oh, um, you cut reps. Yeah. No. It, you know, I have, I have no problem with people modifying the range of motion, but don't <laughs> say you did what I did. You know. <laughs> exactly. Like, uh, and that's again where I'm like, I think the whiteboard can be a dangerous thing because I'm like, what are we teaching people? We're teaching them that it's about the result. It's not about the process. Yeah. It's about how fast you can get it done. Or you're going to get, oh, can you add top score, heaviest load, names on the top of the board? Like, That's one of the things I love about hypertrophy training is it's not about how much weight you lifted at all. Hypertrophy training is about creating a training stimulus that's going to force your muscles to grow. Right. Nobody cares. Bodybuilders don't even talk about how much weight they lift and good hypertrophy training. Unlike 
strength sport or CrossFit or Olympic lifting, like it's not about making heavyweights feel light. It's about making lightweights feel hard. And that's where the methodologies come in and the principles. And that's great because you're able to redefine intensity for yourself. It's like intensity is getting your muscles with close proximity to failure. It doesn't matter how. You can make it challenging in a zillion different ways, but just being consistently in a close proximity to failure and trying to progressively get a little bit more, another forced rep, a half a pound more on there over long periods of time, you know, you calculate all of the high value repetitions with good technique and intensity. That's the quality of the training program. It's got nothing to do with the score on the board. Yeah. Uh, and I don't think it's, it's bad to compete and do that every once in a while, but that's when, when that's all you're looking at every day you're going to be more apt to maybe not care as much about feeling muscles work, yeah. about feeling range of motion, about moving smooth, about getting that, you know, that, that proximity to failure. It's just like, Hey, I was trying to get it done as quick as I can. And, and you know, it becomes a, a race. Training can't be a race. It, it's, you know, a race is not going to be a good way to train. It'll, it'll get you fast to a point and then you'll end up crashing your car into the side of the railing or, you know, it's just not, you're not, you're not going to get much farther. So you got to, again, put this stuff into like context. And like, I think that blend to me, that's so exciting. Even that idea of physical culture, right? The, the, the most athletic, the strongest guys and girls also have the most beautiful physiques too. And the most impressive physicality. Yeah. And, and it's such a market. Like you look at social media and it's all about what does it look like? You know, and, and that's, and a lot of what you see on social media is of course, you know, you get the fake. But with this, you get, you know, you get real results. And like you said, I don't necessarily, you know, I want to I want to be around for my kids. I want to look good when I go to the beach. I want to, you know, <laughs> I want to just be happy with you know, with where I am. And it's and it's not it's being happy with where you are, but also hungry for the next thing and being hungry for just growth, just personal growth. I think one thing coming off of baseball, one thing I got really excited about doing CrossFit was like. You know, you see that progress and you're like, oh man, like I got goals. Like I want to hit this number. I want to run this fast. I want to yeah. do these things. And, and I think like where a lot of people, when they leave their sport, like whether it be football, baseball, basketball, whatever it is in, in high school or college or even just recreational, you know, you you go into the gym and you might ask yourself, well, why, why am I here? Like, what am I, what, what's going to force me to train with a sense of desperation right now that I'm not just going to do what everyone else does, which is just go through the fucking motions yeah. and play this slow death, right? <laughs> um, and to me, CrossFit was like, oh, no, there's something to chase. There's, you know, that, that thing to pursue. It, it made it exciting. But then when that is no longer the best thing for you, and I think for me, it's like when I started seeing like I'm declining now, like I'm not getting any stronger and I'm getting more broken down. And if I can't, if I can't do a thruster, what am I going to do? Like, you know, like, you're like, you know, let it go, let it go. Read the writing on the wall. It's okay. Yeah. You might find that when you explore something else, it can be something amazing and wonderful and fantastic. You just don't know, but you have to be willing to let it go and grow and you have to be curious um, and, and I think a lot of these strong opinions that people have, they're tribal opinions. They've been taught to them and it's a lot of kind of fitness virtue signaling. It's, it's stupid. Okay. Yeah. It's, it's not serving you. Everyone's got their own journey. You know, I, I'm fans of all these people in different aspects of fitness that do nothing. There's a guy that I really like, um, David Reck. 
He's got the wreck method. He's the owner, uh, the inventor of the Bosu ball, I believe. Okay. And he's got this whole, and this is becoming more popular, this whole kind of contralateral fascia um, driven type of rotational mantra that he's he's you know doing and preaching and i'm like man that's so fucking cool it might not be for me but maybe it is one day yeah. maybe i want to do want to try that i love going to zumba class zumba class is fucking sick i mean <laughs> you talk about athleticism like dancing's athletic I mean, were, dancing's I mean, you were, fun you were doing that at, at semis oh, i love it i mean it's dancing to, around with the microphone and to me stuff like that and you said that learn and play new sports like yeah. to me stuff like that is like hey uh, I don't think your body cares whether it's a CrossFit workout or a Zumba class. I think the idea is like, hey, the motion is the lotion, and an yep. object in motion tends to stay in motion. So move it or lose it, and you got to find a way to keep moving because if your only play is the barbell and the dumbbell in a certain context, you're extremely limited, yeah. and you want to be painting this picture of your fitness with a lot of different colors on your palette, yep. and you might find that, one formula works for one person, one's you know, another, but you have to um, have to be willing to challenge those ideas. And it hurts, you know, it's, it's, it's a death and a rebirth. For me, letting go of CrossFit HQ and being willing to kind of step away from it to some degree, it was really hard. It's like friends, family, career, uh, you know, my whole audience, like that, everyone that, that I'm so blessed, like they, these guys, people follow me on, on Instagram and Facebook, like I'm so honored that these people are interested in, in what I'm doing, what I ha have to offer. I put all that at risk to pursue this thing, yeah. you know, just because I believe in it. And, and maybe, you know, maybe those beliefs will, will change as I go, but I'm gonna keep, um, keep being curious. I love it. Well, you got a baseball game to go to. Yeah, dude. It's birthday and uh, just some short, like little rapid fire questions. So you play baseball, favorite baseball player? Jose Canseco. Jose Canseco, ooh, mm -hmm. ooh. That was it. That for some reason I wasn't expecting that one. Jose Canseco is what got me into baseball. <laughs> you talk about heroes. He was one of the between Dan Nitro Clark and Jose Canseco. When I was 11 years old, my mom bought me a book called Jose Canseco 4040 Man. Yep. And Jose Canseco in 1989 hit 40 home runs and stole 40 bases. bases 44. Yeah. It's an insane feat. It's strength and speed at this. It's fucking American gladiators and pair that with he looked the part. That was it for me. I want to I want to look like Jose Canseco. <laughs> Granted, he was on an enormous amount of steroids <laughs> yes. as well as every that. other fucking athlete in that era by the oh, way. Absolutely. And absolutely. and even today, yeah. so let's not play stupid about that. But um but yeah, I mean was, again, there was that idea of like I want to look like a superhero. Like that's what I want. I want to be that athletic kind of bodybuilder. It, it powerful, you know, um, capable. That that was so cool to me. Yep. So favorite team, Oakland A's. Was that, wait, was the Oakland A's? Nineteen eighty nine Oakland A's. I'm telling you, we got Dave Stewart, Andy Vance, like Mark McGuire, McGuire another one of the, the Bash, Bash brothers. brothers. Yeah, dude. absolutely. And these guys are are awesome. And I think that they're all kind of stigmatized into this era that's just like larger than life. You know, I think that era between them and Motley Crue. I mean, that's a lot of what Thunderbro is kind of channeling. I think is yeah. that big dick energy that aggressive positivity this that, whole this whole asterisk mentality i'm like just just drop it yep. you know everybody was doing it, Come it, on. it, it give barry bonds the record ex like, exactly and i i feel i feel that way about a lot of things i feel that way about um marijuana and mushrooms and a lot of things that they 
they get stereotyped and stigmatized and no one actually begs the question like, maybe this isn't entirely true. Maybe there is some context and utility for this stuff. Maybe it's not all the things I've been fed. Maybe there's, maybe there's a way that this can support my dream and my goal in a healthy way. Like I stayed away from marijuana my entire life, right up to the point where I got back surgery. And when I had that back surgery, um, I, after my elbow surgery, actually, I had a really hard time getting off of painkillers. So I like started taking the painkillers and all of a sudden I couldn't sleep without them. And I was taking more and more and I had this whole intervention with the family, like, Hey, take this away. This is dangerous. He's going down, you know, and a lot of people have that with the opioids and stuff. So just knowing that about myself, when I had this back surgery, I said, I don't want the painkillers. I just don't give them to me. Still, they gave me four different types of painkillers, Oxy, Dilaudid, Percocet, Vicodin, wouldn't send me home without them. I told Cam, I'm like, just flush it down the toilet. Cause I feel like if I desperately need it, I'm going to go for it. And I don't want to do that. So instead, one of my good friends who lived in Boulder, Colorado said, Hey, why don't you try doing an edible instead of the painkillers. And so I said, okay, in Colorado, they're like, they're like Starbucks, they're on every corner. <laughs> like, you, yeah. and, and I was like, okay, and I didn't like the idea of smoking. So I don't think smoking is, is a good thing for you, but edibles, I'm like, I'll give it a shot. And number one, very effective painkiller, slept better than I ever did. And mm-hmm. unlike a lot of the other surgeries I had had, cause I had had elbow, hernia, this, that, or the other thing, no constipation. And like, you're kind of in this state where you feel like, when you're on narcotics or coming off of anesthesia or something, you're like always awake, but never awake, always asleep, but never asleep. You're kind of groggy. This was the first time where like, I think it really helped me speed up my recovery. And then at that point I'm like, man, I'm sleeping so good. I just want to, I'll just keep doing this before bed. And it's become a staple for me for sleep, which is honestly like, nobody thinks about this. It's such an important thing, like good, deep, restful sleep. And then like running your own business, being a parent, like, you know, this, Steven, it's, it's so stressful that your brain can fuck you up. You know, like this, we're, we're, we're getting the, we're getting, we're, we're getting five the, minutes. <laughs> you you started this part of the. Yeah. I was gonna go, but wrap. You was trying to wrap it up. <laughs> I was trying to wrap it up. <laughs> no, but I, I think the ability for people to decompress, whether that be with marijuana or meditation or yoga or stretching or reading or whatever it is, like I think it's so important for your mental health to be able to turn it off. Yeah, and that's the context. Obviously, you don't abuse like all these drugs, whether it be CrossFit. Mm-hmm. or testosterone or marijuana or mushrooms like they're potent drugs yeah. which means that they can do harm if you abuse them yep. period there's no getting around it right so you you have to prescribe them appropriately and that's my message you know for all this stuff is like this all has context and utility but it's powerful stuff that can be dangerous and you got to you got to you got to give your daughter a kiss <laughs> so on that man Thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you for coming in and or th- thank you for coming. I'm at your house, but thank you for thank you for coming to my house. And uh, thank you for being on the show. Can we thank you for letting me come and invade for a little while? And uh, man, can't wait to see. Uh, what was that? Thirty? Was it thirty minutes? Yeah, it's just thirty minutes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, it's definitely not thirty minutes. So. Thank you. Awesome, man. Thank you so much. No, thank you. I really appreciate it. It's an honor, uh, and and honestly, I feel so privileged that you're willing to have me on your platform and spread this message. I know a lot of the things I say can sometimes ruffle feathers. Um, and I understand that. And I want people to know that like, you know, anything, any 
curiosities you have, any feedback you have, like I, I am an open resource for you guys. DM me on Instagram, like send a DM to Dave freaking Lipson, whatever it is. If you're curious about bodybuilding, if you want to even consider doing a show, if you're dealing with injuries and you're getting discouraged, or if you disagree adamantly with something I said, bring it. Yeah. Don't just make a meme or some angry YouTube video, but contact me like a man and let's talk about it. Yeah. Yeah. Real quick, plug everything. Tell everybody where they can find oh, you, um, Cammie. Uh, so you can find us, I mean, you can find me on Instagram at Dave freaking Lipson, um, and our handle at Thunderbro. it's T H U N D R B R O. So it's supposed to be like Thun Dr. Bro, right? Where bro yeah. science meets real science. Love it. That's the combination. <laughs> um, and then at thunderbro.com or, or excuse me, um, at www.thunderbro.com. And then, you know, Camille, our journeys parallel each other. She's been through all the same stuff I have from injury and, you know, the, the plateaus and even trying to fix hormones. Uh, she has a company called Feroz that does the same thing, blending bodybuilding, blending form and function together, you know, and really helping especially women find the physique, the physicality, uh, the, the level of happiness, personal fulfillment and structure that you can hopefully, you know, keep you through all these phases in your life, you know, helping them find ways to, to win and feel fulfilled and, and, uh, and, thrive yeah awesome awesome thank you all the best man thank you so much you got it thanks brother you've been listening to the wex appeal podcast get connected by heading to instagram youtube and tiktok at wex appeal podcast for more bonus buffoonery and to get the full wex experience plus make sure to subscribe on your podcast app today Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time for more barbells, beats, and buffoonery.